tonight, what we're learning after a cyclist was killed in a hit and run in Burnaby. Plus. It was awful. The camping trip near Squamish that could have turned deadly for a young man from Kitimat. About 14% of our recyclables end up being exported to other countries where it's most often just burnt. And how the stinking, rotting cargo that pulled into Vancouver today could be a trash turning point. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. We begin with tragic news tonight. Police are investigating after a cyclist was killed this afternoon in a hit and run. Our Jordan Armstrong joins us live with the details. Jordan, what happened? Colleen, the cyclist was hit just before 2 o'clock this afternoon on Gallardi Way, about halfway up the hill to Simon Fraser University. A witness who talked to Global TV said he grabbed his first aid kit and ran over, oh, yeah. but the victim was already dead. The driver of the suspect vehicle, a black Jeep Cherokee, took off from the scene and headed up Burnaby Mountain. It wasn't long, though, before RCMP caught up with the vehicle matching in description and with severe front-end damage on the passenger side. The SUV now behind crime scene tape at University High Street and Tower Road. Mounties confirm people are in custody, but they're not telling us how many nor what charges might be considered. The dead cyclist, believed to be 53 years old, but no word on gender. If you saw what happened or have dash cam video from that area, either before or after the collision, call Burnaby RCMP. Colleen. Thanks for that, Jordan. A 32-year-old man survived a harrowing overnight ordeal. He'd gone camping with friends just outside of Squamish. But as Kristen Robinson reports, the urge for an adventure left him wandering lost and injured in the backcountry. Squamish volunteers calling in SAR crews from Whistler, Lions Bay, the North Shore and Coquitlam Saturday morning. After an overnight search, failed to find the missing New Brunswick man. We got a little worried when we didn't hear the dirt bike anymore. Madison Amato's boyfriend went for a ride at dusk and never returned after the pair set up camp with friends off the Chance Creek Forest Service Road Friday night. So we took my truck and we turned the corner and the dirt bike was in the middle of the road and no Brian. My heart sank. I was, I was so upset. Like, I'll tear up right now. Like, it was awful. As panic set in, they used their cell phones to call 911 and Squamish SAR moved in. It was dark, it was wet, the dirt bike had some damage to it. Evidence it crashed less than a kilometer from the campsite. Searchers faced with a mystery. Had the 32-year-old been thrown off and hurt, or was he wandering with a head injury? You never know. Shortly before noon, high fives and hugs. Brian, the subject, had been picked up on the road in the Squamish Valley, some 20 kilometers from where his bike was found. He's a healthy, healthy young man, and, um, and uh, he walked a long ways. He phoned me, and I heard his voice, and I'm just so happy. Brian taken to hospital for treatment. And he's doing okay. He has facial trauma a bit, but mentally, he's there. Amato grateful to search and rescue crews who say she did the right thing by calling for help right away. Adventure Smart stressing the importance of trip planning, training, and taking essentials. It can mean the difference between, between being found within a few hours. Please be safe, because it happened so quick and I almost lost him. Kristen Robinson, Global News. 
For the third time in just over two years, Vancouver police are warning the public about the same high-risk sex offender. 40-year-old Cameron Rattel is known to target young women between the ages of 16 and 25. Rattel will be living in the city after completing his sentence for sexually assaulting someone under 18. He has also been convicted of sexually assaulting university women living on campuses in Ontario. The VPD issued similar warnings about Rattel in May of 2017 and February last year. They say he still poses a high risk to reoffend. Rattel uses hearing aids and must abide by several conditions, including not consuming alcohol or drugs, reporting all relationships with women, and not accessing the Internet. A Penticton man has been found guilty of assaulting a Vancouver police officer and uttering threats. In January of last year, police say 45-year-old Paul Benjamin Edison confronted two officers in downtown Vancouver. They said at the time he was agitated. They tried to arrest him, but he became violent. One officer was rushed to hospital with a broken leg requiring emergency surgery. The other was treated for several sprained fingers. Edison is expected to be back in court for sentencing in September. Although 69 containers full of Canadian garbage have finally arrived back on Canadian soil, the ship carrying the trash docked in Delta early this morning after spending nearly six years rotting in the Philippines and sparking an international war of words. As Nadia Stewart reports, it's been a costly issue, but one that could prompt change. Early Saturday morning, the Anamaresk rolls into the port of Vancouver, carrying 69 containers full of Canadian garbage, a load sparking a political spat between this country. I will advise Canada that your garbage is uh, on, on, on the way. And the Philippines. Eat it if you want to. Trash talk from President Rodrigo Duterte and protests in the Philippines made a bad situation worse for the Canadian government. The garbage was initially shipped overseas about six years ago. It was labeled as recycling, but once opened and inspected, turns out much of it was trash, household waste, dirty diapers and electronic junk. But the Canadian company responsible for the mess won't be on the hook to clean it up. That's a bill taxpayers will pay markets in Asia have constricted on the amount of material that they're willing to manage. Paul Henderson is part of the team receiving the trash at the facility in Burnaby where it will be incinerated. He says North America is not shipping as much recycling for processing overseas. What we're starting to see is more local recycling of those materials rather than relying on those Asian markets. But environmentalists say the damage has already been done. This incident revealing a country that prides itself on its environmental track record isn't exactly squeaky clean. Critics say Canada needs to do better. Canada, first of all, should ban the export of this trash. About 14% of our recyclables end up being exported to other countries where it's most often just burnt. McCartney says another meaningful step would be a ban on single-use plastics, something the federal government says it is exploring. Nadia Stork, Global News. A Coquitlam woman is outraged tonight about an unauthorized movie being made about her family's tragedy. Tima Curdy's relatives died trying to get to Greece. A heart-wrenching photo of her nephew's lifeless body became a symbol of the Syrian migrant crisis. Jill Bennett has more and a warning. The now infamous photo at the center of this story is disturbing. And I'm not going to be silent. And this is really disrespectful for my family. 
Tima Kurdi got a tearful call from her brother Abdullah a few days ago after he saw this promotional material for an upcoming movie with a picture of his son, Alan Kurdi. He's the little boy whose picture was seen around the world in 2015 after he drowned along with his brother and mother. Very, very emotional and it's very hurtful, really hurtful. We're just not ready. We're just not ready yet. It's just, uh, it's a heartbreaking. Tima Kurdi, the little boy's aunt, has been okay sharing the photo of Alan since his death, raising awareness about the plight of refugees and the dangers they face. But she says seeing it as part of a film is not okay. I'm going to tell him, you hurt us, you stab us, you stab us in, in the heart. My brother rather to die than watch this film. The film is almost done shooting in Turkey. It features actor Steven Seagal and is the work of producer Omer Sarikaya. Even though the trailer outlines the Kurdi story, the producer insists it's not his story. Uh, this is not only about uh, Alan Kurdi's story, it's about whole refugees to the world. But Kurdi says the producer should have asked for permission, even though they would have said no. I want him to feel ashamed of themselves. All of them, those famous people. If they're upsetting... Nothing I can do about that. We're doing for goodwill, non-profit organization. And they should be happy with this. Curtis says she's worried her brother will see the film and be even more distraught. She's written a book about what happened and says there's been a lot of interest in turning that into a movie. But her family isn't ready now and might never be. Jill Bennett, Global News. An investigation is underway into a suspected arson last night in Kelowna. Oh! oh. Yeah, the explosion was caught on camera by neighbors just before midnight near Takla Road. Luckily, no one was hurt, but a Dodge pickup truck and a Ford sedan were destroyed in the fire, which also damaged the side of a nearby home. RCMP believe the fires are suspicious. No word on how they were started. We're all looking for ways to better cope with stress. For some, severe anxiety can also trigger acts of violence. As Julia Foy reports, experts at UBC today were exercising some techniques to calm those struggling with stress. The way to stop tremoring is to lock your knees. This TRE exercise class at UBC is all about releasing stress, tension and trauma. And you learn how to do it by shaking it off. And you may actually start to feel a little shaking happen. We're activating a natural reflexive shaking in the body to release stress. Try to just fatigue that muscle. For the past week, healthcare professionals from across the country and around the world have participated in the first Canadian conference on TRE. They're learning how to use trauma release exercises to help themselves and their clients. Put your legs out straight and lock your knees. Initially, there was a lot of depression. There was nightmares. There was insomnia, flashbacks. Star Spalik worked as a paramedic for over 20 years, but she began suffering post-traumatic stress symptoms after attending the 2007 fatal balloon crash that killed a mother and daughter in Surrey. I used to be up in the fight, flight, disassociated. With TRE, it's actually re-regulated my own nervous system. So I still have triggers, but I'm able to manage them much differently. It may be hard to imagine how tremoring can help people recover from emotional and physical trauma. Oh my gosh, it's been incredible for my clients. But this Edmonton registered counsellor is convinced. A lot of people come to me with anxiety, uh, with depression, and um, 
doing the TRE has really helped to alleviate high levels of anxiety. Basically like my shoulders are shrugging themselves off. Desmond Williams says he used to suffer with chronic pain and anger issues. Now he's been invited to work with UBC law students to help them de-stress with TRE. I was able to come in and share trauma release uh, with some of the students and some of the faculty as well and I'm hoping that in the future we'll be, do, be able to do it a little bit more regularly. How many people would like to do it again? Woodward hopes that one day trauma release exercises will be taught in schools and recognized by the healthcare system. You can find out more on the TRE Canada website. Julia Foy, Global News. A store in downtown Vancouver is hoping to break a world record for the largest private collection of sunglasses. More than 2,000 pairs of shades are on display at the store on West Hastings as part of the authentication process to make it official with the Guinness Book of World Records. And they were collected by a local entrepreneur for the past two years, part of her bucket list challenge to break a world record. There's a lady in Hawaii who had the previous record for the last 10 years. She had 1,506. And today I had five judges come at noon and they verified the new record, which is 2,174. They are destined to go up for auction. And when we sell them, hopefully we'll sell them as a collection to somebody. And all the money, the proceeds are going to the bombing victims in Sri Lanka. Good for her. Hope she does it. Well, months after being injured, a young bobcat is enjoying her freedom once again. She was hit by a car near Gallagher Lakes in the Okanagan. As Jules Knox reports, after being cared for in Kamloops, she was released near Oliver. Inside this well-protected crate, a feisty feline. That hiss from Gallagher the bobcat. Less than a year old, she's already had quite the journey. The cat got both her name and a badly broken leg when she was hit by a car north of Oliver near Gallagher Lake. She was found kind of stumbling beside the side of the road um, and the person that picked her up actually thought it was a domestic cat that had been hit. After spending months in rehabilitation at Kamloops' BC Wildlife Park, today is her chance to run free. She was quiet during the drive, but she was quite angry at having to get into her crate this morning. So um, she was running away from us and her back end looks great. So she's nice and um, strong for release. A fighter until the end, when the big moment came, Gallagher wouldn't go. Until finally, bolting back home. It shot off there like it was in the, uh, in the Olympic high jump. It's good to see it run away so quickly. Obviously, it's healthy. But despite the quick disappearance, researchers will still be able to find out where she is. She's being tracked with the radio transmitting collar and ear tags. We'll be very, um, you know, excited to see what she does after she's released because, you know, most of the time we never know. Researchers say there are plenty of other bobcats in the area and knowing Gallagher's habits could help them better plan for the future. Things are changing in, in, in with, with climate change. The world is a different place than it was five years ago. So to understand their needs hopefully impact um, land use. And although Gallagher's goodbye is bittersweet, those who cared for her are relieved she's back in the wild. Jules Knox, Global News. All right, staying with wildlife for a moment, there's been another spectacular orca sighting along BC's south coast. There's orcas at Indian Arm. Oh my God. 
Yeah, this video was sent to us by a viewer who recorded it in front of her cottage along Coldwell Beach on Indian Arm this morning. Kate Fraser says it's a life's dream come true. It's just the latest in a series of orca sightings close to Vancouver, including one rare incident where they were actually spotted in the heart of town in False Creek. Well, the Rolling Stones should be about 15 minutes or so into the only Canadian stop on their latest and some speculate final tour. Roughly 70,000 concertgoers have taken over Ormadonte, help me out here, Oromadonte, Ontario. You know what? I have to admit, I have never heard of that town and shame on me for that. It's about 30 kilometers north of Barrie. It's the Stones' only Canadian date on their North American tour. The Canadian date was delayed until tonight after lead singer Mick Jagger underwent heart surgery. He turns 76 next month. It's all hands on deck for first responders, not for Mick, but for the Stones fans who have taken over part of cottage country. And I, I hate to say, I've never heard of that town before. I'm sure the Stones aren't pronouncing that No, but you know either. what? Please don't send in your emails of shame because I feel bad enough as it mm. is. I heard they have a, uh, all the routes for all the stops, the, the, the ambulances for Mick, just in no. case. No, it's true. You're standing. Are you they serious? Have doctors there just to be safe, not that, you know. He's well, he is to, turning 76. And exactly. So they're just playing it safe. But they, they know, you know, all the results. Although it sounds like this place that is hard to pronounce could be a long ways away from a hospital. <laughs> I noticed you didn't it even try. It is north in cottage country. It would be a while to get yeah. to a hospital. I think they just call it O-Town up there. Yeah, probably. <laughs> like, like so many Ontario towns. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Prime Minister Justin Trudeau says the issue of two detained Canadians in China was raised in discussions with Chinese President Xi at the G20 summit. You can rest assured that the case of Canadians who've been detained in China is something we will continue to take very seriously. The arrests of Michael Kovrig and Michael Spavor came up in sideline talks with the Chinese president, but the PM would say little else. Trudeau and President Xi did not have a formal meeting, but the PMO's office confirmed there were constructive interactions between the two leaders. Toronto police are investigating the shooting deaths of two people in the city's northwest and overnight. It happened at around 1.30 this morning. One person was pronounced dead at the scene. The second victim succumbed to his injuries in hospital. So far, no arrests have been made. Philippine officials say a bomb that killed eight people at a military base was likely a suicide attack. The bombing on Jolo Island killed three soldiers and three civilians, along with two suspected attackers. 22 people were wounded. If confirmed, it would be the Philippines' third suicide bombing in a year, marking a sinister turn in its fight against militants who have been joined by fighters from Malaysia and Indonesia and have capitalized on the South's jungles, porous borders and abundant weapons. Scuffles between Hong Kong police and demonstrators in the early hours today as protesters marched to the city's harborfront pier. More than a thousand people rallied outside government offices trying to stop a controversial extradition bill in a battle that shows no sign of letting up. A United Airlines flight made an emergency landing at one of the busiest airports in the U.S. this morning, causing it to close temporarily. The FAA says the crew on the flight traveling from LaGuardia to Houston reported having a hydraulic problem and decided to land at Newark International in New Jersey. The plane's two left main tires blew during landing. Passengers used slides to get off the plane. Authorities said no one was injured, but the emergency caused major delays. The airport has since reopened. 
A former New York City police detective who led the fight for the September 11th Victims' Compensation Fund died today. Louis Alvarez appeared with former Daily Show host John Stewart before Congress earlier this month, pleading to extend the compensation fund. He was just 53 years old. Louis Alvarez was a New York City cop, a detective who worked narcotics and then years on the bomb squad, a family man. After 9-11, Alvarez combed through the damaged buildings and across rooftops looking for human remains. Then he worked on the pile, that human excavation chain of first responders searching for the shreds of the people who died. We know that a lot of cops and firemen and EMTs who worked in that pile had trouble breathing. The EPA said the air was fine, so they kept on working. You all said you would never forget. Well, I'm here to make sure that you don't. With some of his last breaths, he addressed members of Congress. You made me come down here the day before my 69th round of chemo. And I'm going to make sure that you never forget to take care of the 9-11 responders. Lou didn't have that 69th round of chemo. He went home and went into hospice after three years of fighting 9-11-related cancer. If I can help just one more first responder, then it makes it all worthwhile for me. It really... You know, it sounds like a cliche, but it's the truth. Lou Alvarez stepped up, just like he did after 9-11. Harry Smith, NBC News, New York. In Health Matters tonight, German Chancellor Angela Merkel insists she's fine after she was recently seen trembling at public events. The 64-year-old appeared unsteady and shaking during a ceremony in Berlin on Thursday. Uh, the week before, Merkel's whole body shook as she stood outside in hot weather alongside Ukraine's president. She later drank three glasses of water, which she said she needed. When asked about the episodes during the G20 summit in Japan, Merkel said, I'm convinced just as this reaction occurred, it will go away. We hope so. More evidence that becoming more active later in life can help you live longer. A British study of 15,000 adults showed that middle-aged people who increased their fitness level had a lower risk of death from all causes, regardless of their past activity levels. But the benefits were greatest for those who were already active and exercised even more as they aged. They are convenient, but a warning tonight about a little-known danger of those keyless entry vehicles. We're going to have that right after Yvonne's forecast, but first, have a look at this. That's interesting. A rare funnel cloud was caught on camera in the Okanagan. The footage was taken at a golf course yesterday, just south of Okanagan Falls. According to Environment Canada, the weak rotation of a cold core funnel isn't usually dangerous near the ground, particularly in the hilly areas of the Okanagan. And have a look at this. We're watching it. It's definitely coming right at us. Wow, in northern Alberta, tornado warnings were posted last night. Several viewers shooting video of what Environment Canada confirms was a water spout on Cold Lake in Lac La Biche area. And this water spout was seen from a campsite on the west side of Cold Lake. The storm brought with it heavy rain and hail. Well, the wind was powerful enough to pull trees out of the ground. Went uh, for a walk down the lake after the hail had quit and 
seen the water getting agitated and just looked up in, in the clouds and things started forming and ran up and, and, and grabbed the phone quickly and uh, got the video. It lasted for about, I would say, six minutes in total until it hit, looked like land on the northwest corner of, of Coal Lake and seemed to dissipate after that. Environment Canada confirmed a tornado touched down in the area. Boy, Yvonne, I don't think I'd want to be anywhere near that. No, and it gets very active around this time of the year. Uh, we're actually seeing lots of instability as a result of that same system here, even for us here in BC. And I'll show you why. We had that cloud cover this morning. The system has been slow moving across the province, but it is starting to break up. And we can see that from our current tower cam. 20 right now with the northwesterly wind at 20 kilometers per hour high today, up to 21 degrees, right where we should be. A record on this day, 29 degrees. And that was set back in 19. 19- a few other spots across the province today starting to warm up. A Soyuz at 26, 17 for Williams Lake, and the Peace today getting up to 21 degrees. Now, most of the active weather right now across the central half of the province. We're tracking a few thunderstorms, heavy downpours, and the potentials there to see large hail and very windy conditions. Much of the southern interior right now, areas near a Soyuz, a lightning strike close by, but there's mostly cloud cover. Now, as we take a look and put things into play, it'll ease off, especially late this evening. Tomorrow morning we are going to see that cloud cover and then by the afternoon for the interior there is the potential once again to see showers and the risk of thunderstorms. Most areas across Metro Vancouver it is going to be very pleasant. It'll be similar across the island and then on Monday for Canada Day the southern half of the province sunny and dry. It'll really be towards the central and northern half of the province that we're still seeing some wet weather. For the northern half tomorrow risk of a thunderstorm 25 degrees. Canada Day be prepared for any outdoor celebrations, it's going to be wet and cool with only a high of 16. Whitehorse up to 29 degrees. Most areas along the coast tomorrow for the northern half, sunshine. It'll be inland. One more unsettled day with the risk of a thunderstorm. Areas near the Caribou and Central Interior, risk of a thunderstorm, 23 degrees. Canada Day, isolated showers and then sunny and dry once again on Tuesday. Columbia and Kootenai region, very pleasant. Temperatures warming up. Monday even getting up to 31 degrees. Areas near the Thompson Okanagan will see the risk of thunderstorms. And near the thunderstorms tomorrow, the winds could see gusts of up to 40 kilometers per hour. It'll be a calm day on Monday. Whistler seeing a range in temperatures between 26 and 30. Monday, sunny, dry and calm. And areas along the island, northern spots will still see more cloud cover for the morning. A nice clearing by the afternoon for Port Hardy. 18 as a high. It'll be windy for a few spots closer to the water by the afternoon. And inland, it is going to warm up tomorrow. Port Alberni getting closer to 28 degrees. Your Canada Day forecast will be up to 24. If you've got plans to check out the fireworks, a Canada place at 1030. It looks like we'll see a few clouds in the mix. A very slight chance that we'll see an isolated shower and temperatures will be sitting at 19 degrees. The next few days, it's really Sunday. Monday, that looked to be the nicest. We've got that cloud cover so that'll be for Canada Day in the evening and then Tuesdays when we'll see the bulk of the showers and moisture moving its way in. Colleen? All right thanks so much Yvonne. So many new cars have those keyless ignition remotes that help you start your car without having to fumble around for your keys in your pocket or your purse but there is an unexpected and hidden danger to the technology that can take you by surprise. For Tabitha Etlinger, the tragic news came as a shock. Her father, 68-year-old Russell Fish, died in February after accidentally leaving his car with keyless ignition running in his garage. 
There is apparently a, a huge number of people out there that think their car will turn off on its own when they walk away with the key fob, and that is not the case. The culprit? Carbon monoxide poisoning, which filled his house as it ran silently overnight. Fish is one of four such deaths so far this year, and the numbers are rising. It's colorless, it's odorless, it's tasteless, and it's hard to detect without proper equipment. And those are the carbon monoxide detectors in our house. Keyless cars are increasingly common, but without a physical key, drivers may forget to shut it off. Sean Kane, president of Safety Research and Strategies, believes that while human error plays a role, the real issue is the car manufacturer's designs. The best thing to have is an auto shutoff feature so the car, if it's left unattended for a certain amount of time, that the engine will shut down. This car automatically beeps if you walk away while the engine is running. And it idles for 30 minutes and then shuts off. But that shutoff feature is not standard. Toyota, whose vehicles make up half of the fatal incidents, announced that all 2020 keyless vehicles will have an auto shutoff feature. And legislation was introduced this year that would force automakers to implement shutoff technology that would cost an additional $5 per vehicle. Ford and General Motors say they support the bill. The National Highway Traffic Safety Administration warns about the dangers of leaving a keyless car running, but it does not mandate cars to shut off automatically while idling. For Tabitha, it's about educating consumers. If he could see anything happen from his death, he would like to see even just one other accident be avoided. Hoping her father's tragedy will help save lives. Jolene Kent, NBC News, New York. An Edmonton business owner is cleaning up after a customer who had no intention of paying visited his store. Have a look at this. Staff at the Mission Thrift Shop were just about to open on Wednesday morning when this guy decided to check out some deals. There he is. I think there he is. Yeah, he entered through the rear donation bay and then made his way through the store when something spooked him, causing him to make a quick exit out the front window. I was actually on my way to the shop and I got a phone call from one of the volunteers saying that we lost uh, another window in the front of the shop, so I was pretty upset about it. Uh, they told me just to stay calm. It was kind of a funny situation and when I got here they informed me of the whole thing and we went through the security tape to, to see what happened. Yeah, the staff said the deer seemed unscathed after the incident and ran away immediately. Why Kansas City should have been part of this first for the UK, we're going to explain right after Barry's sportscast. Yeah, lots of fun going on in London. Little wordplay. You got Little going with the baseball. Mm -hmm. yeah, got a lot of football coming up. Oh. Tonight, we're going to start with the Lions. Thanks, Colleen. The uh, Lions try to avoid a third straight loss to start the season tonight in Calgary against the Stampeders. Lions head coach Devon Claybrooks, who was the Stamps' defensive coordinator last season when they won the Grey Cup, would love nothing more than to get his first win as a head coach against his former team. But the Lions need to take it up a few notches from what we've seen the first couple of weeks. Mike Riley sacked seven times last week, wanted more balance on offense today. Opening drive had a good mix. But then Riley, under pressure, picked off by Trey Robertson, takes it all the way back for the pick six touchdown. But Clay Brooks challenges the play for roughing the passer. You're not allowed helmet-to-helmet -helmet hits, and he wins the challenge as Riley took one right on the helmet. So the Lions keep the ball, and on the next play, Riley will swing it out to John White, who scoots in for the touchdown. And what a turn of events. Instead of being down seven, 
The Lions score their own touchdown, and then Riley will find former Langley Rams junior star Javon Katoy for the two-pointer. Katoy basically forcing the Lions to get him on the roster. He's been that good so far early, 8-0. Then after a pass interference call in the end zone, White takes it in for the short touchdown, 15-1 Lions after one. The Lions certainly benefited from some poor stamps decisions. Roughing the kicker penalty here keeps the Lions' drive alive, and they take advantage. Riley to the former stamp. Peter Lamar Durant, the Coquitlam kid, rolls in for the touchdown, makes it 22-1 Lions, all three touchdowns as a result of Stampeder penalties. Riley had a fantastic first half, 20 of 22, 205 yards, but on this third and goal on the final play of the half, they got stuffed, so they left some points on the field. Fourth quarter now, 25-13. But Bo Levi Mitchell will go 42 yards to Eric Rogers, 25-21 right now, late in the fourth. But the Lions are driving, hoping to get that first win. Canada's national men's soccer team has scored 12 goals so far in three games at the Gold Cup, but 11 of them came against Cuba and Martinique, hardly world-class sides. But this young Canadian side does have bravado and firepower like we've never really seen before from our Canadian men. Tonight, a chance to prove they are for real, taking on Haiti in the Gold Cup quarterfinals. Haiti coming off a shocking 2-1 upset of Costa Rica last week. Canada's two dynamic teenagers, 18-year-old Alfonso Davies, 19-year-old Jonathan David, do his right. David with Haitian roots, but uh, grew up in Toronto from age six, and right on cue, thumps the game's first goal. This kid can finish. That is a blast. He's got 10 goals for Canada in just eight matches with the national team. Later, Davies with a free kick, and that is almost perfect. Dips, but not enough as it hits the crossbar that close to a second goal. But they do get number two, Lucas Cavallini, behind the Haitian defense. He is on side, keeps his cool, and guides it in. 2-0 Canada. Cavallini has five goals in this tournament. But Canada seemingly in control, just disintegrate. Bad back pass there. Milan Borian's got to do better than that. Duckens Nezan with the goal. It's 2-1. And then Marcus Godinho with a reckless challenge in the box. Penalty awarded. That's the right call. Hervé Bazile from the spot ties it. So a disastrous turn of events for Canada. And it gets worse. 76th minute. Haiti on the attack. This is beautifully crafted, though, and finished by Wild Donald Guerriere. 3-2 Haiti. Canada with an epic collapse. This game being played in Houston. Laid off the free kick by Davies. Atiba Hutchinson, though, does score. But the flag is up for offside. It was the right call. A devastating loss for the young Canadians. They let one slip away. Their Gold Cup now over after the 3-2 loss. The Whitecaps are in Seattle tonight to play the Sounders in what usually amounts to great entertainment. The Caps have to be confident after scoring two late goals Wednesday in Dallas to steal a two-all draw. The recent comebacks have been nice, but Vancouver wouldn't mind changing things up and playing with the lead tonight. MLS from Washington, D.C. D.C. United taking on Toronto FC. Marco Delgado with the legwork here finds Nick DeLeon, the former D.C. United midfielder who played seven seasons in Washington. It's 1-0 Toronto right now, late second half. FIFA Women's World Cup quarterfinals, Germany and Sweden. Germans ranked number two in the world. Swedes coming off that 1-0 win over Canada in the round of 16, 16th minute. 
German strike first. Lena Magol settles it and then sidewinds it in. A great goal. Surely that's enough to book their ticket to the semis. I mean, only 75 minutes left. How could Sweden possibly come back? Uh, wait, they do. Ball over the top. Misplayed by the German back line. And Sofia Jakobsen makes them pay. First goal surrendered by the Germans in this tournament in their fifth match. 1-1 at the half. And then early second half, Jakobsen curls it into the box. Header well saved, but Stina Blackstenius, who not knocks it in, she got the winner against Canada, and Sweden, with the upset, beat the Germans 2-1 to advance to the semifinals. In the other quarter, Italy and the Netherlands, the Dutch also beat Canada 2-1 earlier in this tournament. 70th minute off a free kick, and the Netherlands strike first. It's their star player, Vivian Miedema, with the perfect header to the corner. 1-0 for the Dutch. And 10 minutes later, off another set piece, perfect service for Stephanie Vandergrat, who power nods that one in. And the Netherlands take it 2-0. They will meet Sweden in the semis on Wednesday. England and the USA meet in the other semi on Tuesday. Welcome back. The Canucks appear to be balancing, uh, balancing their checkbook for some free agent shopping. Free agent market officially opens up on Monday. Today, they placed Ryan Spooner on waivers for the purpose of buying out the final two years of his contract. Spooner said to earn $4 million this year and next. His cap hit will be a $1 million in each of the next two seasons. It frees up cash to sign Brock Besser to a contract extension. Also, it allows GM Jim Benning to address uh, what he wants, which is a top-six defenseman and maybe another top-six forward. Well, with the NBA free agency period beginning tomorrow at 3 o'clock our time, the rumors surrounding Kawhi Leonard continue to escalate. The latest has Kawhi collaborating with Kevin Durant about joining forces and playing on the same team. And the two clubs with the cap space to do that are the Clippers and the Knicks. Sounds a little far-fetched, but you never know. Kawhi does have meetings scheduled with the Lakers, Clippers, Knicks, and the Raptors. The Toronto meeting is set for Tuesday. PGA Tour stop is in Detroit for the inaugural Rocket Mortgage Classic. That is 36-year-old Nate Lashley got into the tournament last minute as an alternate when a player pulled out with injury, and Lashley, ranked 353 in the world, has taken full advantage, shot a 9-under-63 in round one, a 67 yesterday, and today he was dialed in. Great shot at the 12th, led to birdie, 14, another fantastic wedge to a couple of feet, 7-under for the day at that point, 21-under for the tournament and a sizable lead and he wasn't done yet on 17 from about nine feet that's another birdie and then on 18 from 160 yards out Lashley will stick it to four feet made another birdie another nine under 63 for Lashley who quit golf to sell real estate back in 2012 on the cusp of his first PGA Tour win he's got a massive six shot lead at 23 under BC boys Nick Taylor and Roger Sloan who will play together in the final round tomorrow are both tied for 30th at minus nine. The LPGA is in Arkansas for the Walmart Northwest Arkansas Championship. Second round is a 54-hole event, so players trying to make the cut. And Brooke Henderson needed that eagle on 18 to make the cut, but she is well back in 52nd place at minus four. Spain's Carlotta Seganda on the first hole pitches in for the eagle two on the par four. She is the co-leader at 13 under, nine shots up on Henderson. 
Well, the U.S. version of the Triple Crown didn't have a lot of buzz this year after the unprecedented disqualification in the Kentucky Derby. Canada's version of the Triple Crown began today at Woodbine with the running of the prestigious Queen's Plate, and it was an outstanding finish. One bad boy at Avis Plata, stride to stride, a furlong to run. One bad boy, one bad boy, never looked better and has got the Queen's Plate well and truly won. One bad boy, three lengths, Avis Plata second, tone broke third. All right, baseball today, Blue Jays home to Kansas City. Jays starter Marcus Stroman was pitching well until he injured his non-throwing shoulder, warming up in the top of the fifth. He was forced to leave the game. It's not believed to be serious. Bottom of the ninth, tied at five, Danny Jansen. Game-winning two-run homer, a rare happy ending for the Blue Jays this season. 7-5, the final over Kansas City. Okay, all right, Major League Baseball's First game in Europe brought out some pretty heavy hitters today. We mean that figuratively, of course. The Duke and Duchess of Sussex met with members of both the New York Yankees and the Boston Red Sox. No, Kansas City Royals. No, before the teams played at London Stadium. It is one of the few public appearances by Meghan since she gave birth to her son Archie in May. Both teams gave them commemorative jerseys for their newborn. Cute. Harry did not speak to the crowd or even risk throwing the first pitch. Smart man. Instead, he passed that honor to Invictus veterans. The Yankees, of course, beat the Red Sox 17-3, by the way. 17-13. It was one of the highest, one of the highest scoring games um, of the year and very close to like a record breaker. It took four and a half hours. Wow. Well, and they, it was, they said it was more like a, a game of cricket than a baseball well, game. Well, the, the field was a little shorter than usual. Usually it's 400 feet or 420 to center. It was like 380. It's a soccer field. So it was a, you know, it was a good hitter's park. Let's put it that way. Oh my Not Little League, but Not, pretty close. Yeah. <laughs> uh, listen, um, last look at weather, and you've got a, um, a warning for us tonight? Yes. If you're planning on heading out uh, to Sunset Beach, Vancouver Coastal Health uh, has closed it down due to high levels of E. coli. So, uh, Check on the website for any updates, but if you are planning on getting out and doing some swimming, swimming uh, right now Sunset Beach is closed, and we'll stay tuned uh, for more updates on that. Thank you so much for that. Thanks for joining us tonight. Join Jordan at 11.